This week in KMA Land, Trump cruises to Iowa GOP caucus went. Page County residents brave cold for caucuses. Page County Sheriff's Race previewed. Another week of winter weather in KMA Land. New Sydney mayor calls it quits. And the reaction to Governor Reynolds' proposed AEA changes. I'm Mike Peterson. Iowa once again was the scene of the first major development of the 2024 presidential race. As anticipated by most political pundits, former President Donald Trump coasted to a victory in Iowa's first-of-the-nation Republican caucus Monday night. Unofficial results showed Trump claiming more than half of the total votes cast at sites around the state. We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. And most major news networks called the race within 30 minutes of caucuses beginning based on entry polling showing strong support for the former president. Trump, speaking to a crowd in Clive, called for unity in the country. I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could... Come together. In the race for second place, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held off former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Speaking before his supporters, DeSantis hoped the results would spring his campaign moving forward. In spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Despite the third place showing, Haley says her campaign is set up to perform well in upcoming states. The pundits will analyze the results from every angle. We get that. But when you look at how we're doing in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and beyond, I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Businessman Vivek Ramaswamy finished a distant fourth in the race. Following the results, Ramaswamy suspended his campaign and endorsed Trump. The campaigns will now turn their sights to New Hampshire's primary, which is slated for January 23rd. Frigid temperatures didn't deter Page County Republicans from participating in Iowa's presidential caucuses Monday night. Former President Donald Trump easily won all four of Shenandoah's precinct caucuses at Shenandoah High School. A total of 178 ballots were cast in the four precincts. Page County Republican Party Chair Brian Whip estimated total turnout at around 300. Whip tells KMA News passion for presidential candidates brought up participants in the coldest night in Iowa caucus history. People came out to support their candidate. I think they would have waded through water. It was just they were very adamant about supporting their candidates. And it wasn't just one. They supported several candidates. Bill Selby voiced support for Trump in the Precinct 9 caucus at the high school library. Selby also called for unity among Republicans. Republicans have got to quit that damn fighting amongst themselves. You hear me? Tell them that. Tell them to get their head out of the sand or wherever. (laughs) We have to save our country right now. Whip hopes Iowa retains its first-of-the-nation caucus status in future presidential elections. It seems like we're always in an election cycle because of that. We get a lot of information that maybe other populations don't get to see. We see more candidates than the other populations don't get to see. And hopefully, if you know, if you have a fringe candidate that has a lot of qualities, then maybe they'll, they'll get some notoriety here in Iowa and be able to, to make a name for themselves elsewhere in the country. It was the same story at Clarenda High School, where Trump cruised to a resounding victory in all four of the community's precincts in the GOP caucus securing 178 ballots. 
Danny Robertson is a Page County GOP committee member and chaired one of two rural Clarinda precincts. Despite the cold temperatures, Robertson told KMA News there was a strong turnout. I don't know that it was more than was expected. Anytime that's a presidential caucus, which is what this was, and it was contested, which meant that there was more than one candidate, anytime you have that, you have uh, more people show up. Weather didn't seem to slow a lot of people down. Due to the number of residents lining the Clarenda High School Commons during registration, three out of the four precincts were forced to move to larger classrooms. Robertson, who has been attending caucuses since the 1980s, felt the operation went smoothly. My, my job, as far as I'm concerned, as temp temporary chairman and, and permanent chair, is to make it go as fast as possible. <laughs> Several people got up and said, you did great. <laughs> out of here. So, you know, it's just my, my opinion is there's no reason to have them sit around in there and debate stuff. And if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If not, you want to vote on them? <laughs> Let's do it. In addition to the presidential straw poll, attendees also submitted issues for party platforms. I had them all turned in written, so I had three sheets turned in. All three of them had to do with um, uh, transgender youth. Page County caucus scores also received a sneak peek of a major county sheriff's race approaching in June. Page County Chief Deputy Charles McCullough and Deputy Lindsey Stevens recently announced campaigns for the sheriff's Republican nomination with both circulating nomination papers during Monday night's caucuses. County Sheriff Lyle Palmer plans to retire at the end of his current term. McCullough became a full-time deputy in 2006, earning promotion to sergeant in 2016 and his current role as chief deputy in 2018. Speaking at the Clarinda caucuses, McCullough says he enjoyed taking on new initiatives and collaboration efforts with area law enforcement agencies under Palmer's guidance. I took the lead in forming a think tank committee with neighboring law enforcement agency, mostly all southwest Iowa, northwest Missouri. We invited 10 people to the very first meeting of that. We had 75 people show up from everywhere from Council Bluffs. We had uh, DEA from uh, St. Joe show up. Ringgold County wasn't even involved and they brought people over to the exchange information. On top of ensuring swift arrests regarding drug and theft activities, McCullough says he's also focused on ensuring proper rehabilitation for those suffering from mental health issues. We're interested in helping people that have gotten into the drugs and have had a run-in with the law. If they're needed wanting help, let's help them. I treat everyone with respect and will continue to do so, so as your sheriff. And with the supporters of Page County and our wonderful deputies, you'll be proud Vote for sure. Caucus goer Julie O'Hara was one of several speaking on behalf of Stevens and Clarinda. Stevens spent one year at the Shenandoah Police Department before joining the Sheriff's Office as a deputy in 2010. He also served as firearms instructor since 2018. Reading from a written statement from Stevens, O'Hara says the lifelong Page County resident talked about why he has a heart for law enforcement. Helping people when they're in time of need and sometimes it's helping people through a time when they may have made a poor choice. There are consequences to poor choices, but it's not the end of the world. People can choose to do better and learn from situations in life. Providing guidance is what I enjoy the most. And I think that really embodies um, what I know of Lindsay as far as a law enforcement officer, but also a person. O'Hara at Stevens has 24 years of owning and operating his own business and budgeting experience could come in handy in transitioning to a new jail. Fiscal responsibility, I think, is really an important quality for him because of the new jail, sheriff's office, and 911 dispatch, facil dispatch facility costing over $16 million. 
Um, Lindsay has the leadership and managerial ability to ensure as smooth a transition as possible. Uh, Stevens thanks his, the voters again for the support for this. In November, voters approved a $16.7 million bond issue paving the way for the new jail and public safety facility. Voters in one precinct also heard from Brian Rogers, who plans to run for the supervisor's 1st District GOP nomination against incumbent Jacob Holmes. County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen and 3rd District Supervisor Judy Clark also spread nomination papers during the caucus. Good turnout was also reported at other Republican caucuses in KMA land. Fremont County GOP Chair Bob Benton told KMA News he was amazed with Monday's turnout considering the snow and cold from the recent winter storms. Six years ago in the Green Scott Riverside Township where I hold the caucus, I had like 113 people show up and that was the most I've ever had in our little precinct. Uh, last night there was 55. In Montgomery County, Trump received 177 votes, or 57 percent, to Haley's 68 votes, or 22 percent. Red Oak High School is the site for each county precinct caucus. Montgomery County Supervisors Chair Mike Olson says hot political involvement brought residents out on a cold evening. There's a lot of political motivation right now, not only in, in Montgomery County, but in the state of Iowa and probably in the United States. And and, and people are, are going to get out and they're going to have their voice heard. Trump also received 59% of the Mills County Caucus vote, or 449 votes, to DeSantis's 154 votes, or 20%, and Haley's 126 votes, or 17%. KMA Land residents spent the week coping with the aftermath of last week's bookend winter storms. Snow removal efforts continued last weekend following the latest bout with Old Man Winter last Friday. Despite miserable conditions created by heavy snow and bone-chilling wind chills, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen tells KMA News city crews conducted on-and-off operations over a 36-hour period following last Friday's storms. I can't give you exactly how many hours, but they were pretty much out uh, the whole time, taking uh, you know two to three-hour breaks in between. But then when the wind came up and we started drifting, you know, they had to hold back a little bit and let that finish out. Kate McQueen says cold temperatures made for unsafe outdoor conditions, even for snow crews. You know, everybody thinks that you're sitting in a uh, heated truck or a heated tractor or whatever, but when we're talking, you know, uh, minus 40 with the wind chill, uh, it, that, it's just too cold for anybody to even be out. And, uh, you know, to see those guys going by at uh, 11, 12 o'clock at night uh, after already being out for 12, 13 hours, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for him. Workers from several city departments, including street, water, wastewater, and park and recreation, have been involved in the snow removal efforts over the past week. KMA Land secondary road crews continued the battle of the elements in clearing snow from last Friday's epic winter storm. Page County crews resumed the battle last weekend, but County Engineer J.D. King told KMA News extreme cold coupled with equipment issues slowed the county's snow removal operation over the last few days. Over the weekend, we were out with our plow trucks and the motor graders on the pavements trying to keep them open in the face of the blowing snow, and that's all we got done. We were not on the gravels very much over the weekend. We got switched over to the gravels some yesterday, but that was in the afternoon after the wind died down a little bit. So the pavements quit drifting. Though the county is down a motor grader, King says crews were back on gravel roads on Monday. He says the cold has been hard on both personnel and machines. The cold's hard on the machines, even though we have the blended fuel and fuel additives. We still had some of our motor graders gel up in our trucks. The blowing snow 
is, uh, you know, a visibility and a, and a real safety issue. So we delayed usually uh, with within normal snow without wind. We go out at 5 o'clock in the morning usually. But given the, the blowing snow, we delayed that uh, on Saturday and Sunday till we went out at daylight. So it's safer for the crew. We sure don't want to lose a truck off the road or hurt someone to uh, get out there a little earlier and and thus far we've been fortunate we had not have anybody that has slid off or turned over a truck more snow fell in kma land thursday afternoon into friday the latest event was already been a long winter despite a raging winter storm life and in some cases the beginning of life goes on but a KMA land residents still had to do their jobs regardless of the heavy snow and bone chilling winds hitting the region that includes a Shenandoah Medical Center physician forced to use alternative transportation to get to the hospital in time to deliver a baby. Dr. Chase Brown is a family practitioner at SMC. Brown lives in a rural area several minutes away from the hospital. With heavy snowdrifts forming on secondary roads last Friday, Brown told KMA News he rode to the hospital on an ATV in order to make the delivery in time. Sometimes the best way for me to get into the hospital is on my four-wheeler. And knowing that the storm was coming in, I actually had gotten stuck on Tuesday with my regular vehicle. And so I felt like the safest way for me to get into the hospital was to bundle up. And sure enough, uh, I definitely would have gotten stuck again had I not taken my four-wheeler. I just made it in early, took my time, and uh, <laughs> found out that that was the best way to get here. But uh, it was definitely necessary. Weather notwithstanding, Brown says it was important to arrive at SMC in time for the baby delivery. You know, it was one of those scenarios where it couldn't wait. You can't, you can't tell the mom to hold the baby in when the baby needs to come, right? So uh, we, we had to get this delivery done today to, to make sure that mom and baby were safe and help, happy and healthy. Another plot twist this week in the continuing saga involving Sydney city government. After only two weeks on the job, Sydney's new mayor suddenly resigned. Warren Forbes submitted his letter of resignation to the city effective last Friday. Forbes was one of three candidates who ran for the position back in November and secured over 58% of the vote. In his letter, Forbes outlined several issues as to the reason for his departure, but he tells KMA News the decision ultimately came down to a broken system in the city's government. The communication is not there. The, the teamwork that needs to be there for a mayor to function is, is not developing I know it seems like a very short time frame, but at the same time, uh, our community's been hit with two snowstorms that cooperation, finding out what the protocols were for snowstorms was not there. Trying to get information was not happening. Forbes says he took two weeks of vacation to the end of 2023 to learn more intently about the role of mayor. However, due to working a full-time job with Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad and running two businesses in town, Forbes feels it would require more time commitment than he can give to address his concerns. Finding that the amount of time that would have to be put into this city government and the environment that it's in is going to take more time than I can give. I've got two businesses in town that were also struggling, and the, the cooperation with the rest of the city employees and council is, is not there. I'm not getting communication. I find myself to be on an island by myself. Despite a short tenure, Forbes hopes residents can understand the reasoning for his departure. I hope that they get to read my resignation letter because it says a lot as to where our city government is and where I thought it needed to go and can't seem to get it done. And 
for me to do the next steps that would need to be done was not going to be popular. At a special meeting Wednesday evening, the Sydney City Council unanimously approved a special election to fill the vacated mayor's position. Council members chose the option over appointing a new mayor, which a petition for a special election would also override. Given the timing of the resignation, Councilman and Mayor Pro Tem Justin Shirley feels it's the city's best interest to go ahead with an election. We did look into the cost of that, and unfortunately it's going to be costly to the city, but... We're at a point where I think an appointment, we'd be appointing somebody to to serve full term as mayor. And that's not really, in my opinion, what that is designed to do. After speaking with County Auditor D. Owen, Councilwoman Ann Travis says it would cost the city between $1,000 and $3,000 for the special election. City Attorney Bree Sorensen says the County Auditor will set the election date within 30 days of receiving the notice from the city. Also at Wednesday night's meeting, council members approved an investigation into Forbes' reasons for his resignation. Travis initially suggested hiring an outside source to review the situation. However, Sorensen encouraged an internal review by either a committee or the full council to try to identify the root cause of the tension encompassing the city, particularly in the past year, through interviews with employees. As you look into the concerns that Forbes brought up, as well as the concerns of the staff and the concerns of the council, identify what are common issues, what are personality conflicts, what are behavioral issues, and then as as you identify the most prominent issues or if there is a particular interaction, you know, with a particular role in the city, then pursue that sort of mediation Sorensen adds she didn't see an issue with discussing the topic and interviewing employees in an open meeting, but notes the Iowa Code allows employees to request a closed session for the evaluation. She also emphasized the importance of identifying the source of the problem and potentially having tough conversations with employees. The interactions I've had uh, over just since January 1st don't indicate that there's necessarily a mindset of moving forward uh, from all aspects of the city. And that is something that needs to be resolved. That is something that needs to be addressed and it needs to be taken care of. Otherwise, we're going to have a continuation of quitting and leaving. Shirley adds discussions with employees could also help shed light on why the previous two mayors had differing experiences with city staff from those in the council. Red Oak school officials and community leaders this week mourned the passing of a longtime school board member. The Red Oak School District announced Roger Carlson's death Tuesday. Carlson served 25 years on the Red Oak School Board, beginning with his first stint in the 1990s. In a statement, school officials said Carlson was a beloved friend, mentor, and leader and was instrumental in implementing a variety of programs, initiatives, and referendums to enhance the quality and effectiveness of the Red Oak District. Among the initiatives was a before and after school program implemented at Inman Elementary School. In a 2018 interview with KMA News, Carlson says the program was designed to assist parents of preschool and elementary age children. We've had lots of people in our community request a before and after program at the school. There's a lot of young professionals that would love to have their children you know, come to school early so they don't have to worry about daycare or leaving them at home by themselves for a short and a time if they're the older children. But we're going to start a pre-K, kindergarten through sixth grade from six in the morning to six at night. Carlson said the program was a follow-up to recent meetings regarding the community's need for early childhood care. There's been meetings in the community, uh, countywide meetings about lack of child care, 
in the district. So there's a big need in this district. There's a big need in rural Iowa for this program. School officials added Carlson cared deeply about Red Oak and made a tremendous impact on both the community and school district. The school extended its condolences to Carlson's family, many friends, and neighbors who grieved his passing. Plans to revamp Iowa's area education agencies raised eyebrows inside and outside the statehouse this week. Earlier this month, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds unveiled a proposal removing the current requirements for school districts to allocate special education dollars to local AAs. It also calls for transferring some of the AA services. Reynolds also proposes adding oversight of AAs through the Iowa Department of Education and limiting the regional agencies to just special education services. Dr. Jason Plord is administrator with the Green Hills Area Education Agency, serving 45 public school districts and six parochial schools in 15 counties in southwest and south-central Iowa. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday, Plord says Green Hills AAA currently offers more than 100 services to area districts. The big buckets are special education. That's really 80% of what we do. We specialize in working with students and families, you know, that have children with disabilities. And then we also have other services, something that's called educational services, as well as media and technology. So we serve a a wide variety of areas and have a wide variety of experts that do that on a daily basis in our schools. Reynolds claims the agencies have become bloated and ineffective since they were created in the 1970s. Plourd, however, says services in the state's AEAs have benefited schools since their inception back in 1974. Our organization has been around for 50 years, and some have accused us of that that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. It's very foundational. If you set these two bills side by side, the new bill compared to the original bill back in the early 70s, the original bill was very strong, and some amazing people had some, some foresight and some wisdom in terms of local control and some other key principles that are being attacked in this new bill. Under the 125-page bill under consideration in the Iowa legislature, Plord says a third of the AA's 315 employees and five and roughly 85 percent of the agency's services would be eliminated. Calling Reynolds's proposal nuanced and vague, Plord says it would have negative implications for not only AAs, but school districts as well. He also claims there is no contingency plan for districts to handle the eliminated services independently. So if you're a small rural school or even a mid-sized school, and in some cases urban schools, you're going to struggle to find the money in your current coffer in order to pay for all of these services on your own because there's no contingency plan for any additional funding. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, State Senator Mark Costello said he supported some proposed changes, such as the reduction in the number of agency administrators. The of the AEAs, that she's going to eliminate them and put a number of things under the Department of Education. Some of their salaries are incredibly high, and I think that's one of the things that we're trying to look at. Our education, we spend more than pretty much most states, and we're not getting better results, so we're trying to figure out how to have more accountability, putting some more accountability on the state. State Senator Tom Shipley is among lawmakers expressing serious reservations over Governor Reynolds's proposal. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Shipley said he was surprised by the proposal's wide scope. There's been some concerns about uh, 
mostly what I've heard has been uh, administrative costs throughout the system. But I don't know exactly. This was I thought there was probably going to be something coming. I had no idea it was going to be this broad and far-reaching. An Ottawa Republican says one of his concerns involves the aggressive timeline for AEAs and individual school districts to adjust to changes in services. Part of it goes back to budget. I mean, they've got to have their budget set and so forth. And, and uh, you know, but on the other hand, those school districts have to decide in April sometime as to what their level of participation is going to be. I don't know that that's realistic to expect them to be able to do that. Shipley says he's received numerous emails from constituents regarding the proposal. He says most of the concerns involve possible loss of services. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more news all the time, log on to kmaland.com. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.